You are listening to Scotland's Ear to the Ground, the podcast that brings you interviews with Scotland's finest composers. Your hosts are Aileen Sweeney and Ben Eames. Ruta Witkowskaita is a composer, performer and curator whose work in music crosses conventional boundaries. She studied at the Lithuanian Academy of Music before moving to London to complete her PhD at the Royal Academy of Music. Her music has been described as resembling natural forces, a highly dynamic, vital and unpredictable whole, always generating an act of emotion. While living in the UK, Ruta has developed an interest in music education and is currently initiator of Coma Contemporary Music for All Glasgow branch. Hello, how are you? Hello, hi. <laughs> nice to see you today here. <laughs> so you're a very prolific composer with over 80 works written so far for a huge wide range of forces ranging from full-scale operatic works to vegetable orchestras containing carrot flutes and amplified pumpkins. <laughs> we asked you to select three pieces that you thought best represented yourself as a composer and your interest. So we'll go chronologically and start with song about the tree, river, sea and earth, which was written whilst you were living in Lithuania. Why have you chosen this piece to share with us today? It was really interesting um, when you asked me to select a few pieces and we had this little conversation about what kind of music I should choose. And then uh, we thought maybe it should be something, my best, a favorite piece. It's very, I think as a composer, um, I do have favorites. <laughs> I do have favorites. And I think uh, some of the pieces I've written years ago, this one is written more than 10 years ago, but it still somehow feels as my favorite piece because some of the music I really get inspired and write it almost for myself and um, without thinking so much about um, the reception or judgment of that music. It feels like as if I caught something that is really my, truly my voice and I kind of express it. When um, sometimes with some uh, other pieces, it, it really depends, there is no rule to it, but sometimes I feel like the deadline is approaching and I still haven't got the idea and it becomes really stressful and I write something which also can be a really good piece, but maybe I, as a composer, maybe I don't feel such a ownership of it, I could say. Maybe I feel like I just written a really good piece, but then I don't know if it's truly my voice. So a few pieces I written that I really feel they are mine and I know maybe what I wanted to say with them subconsciously at least. And so uh, this song, this piece that I chosen is uh, one of them.
Could you tell us a bit about the text that you've used and how this influenced the sound world? Um, we picked up on hints of Eastern European folk music. The text for the piece is in Lithuanian, and I've written it myself. Oh. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm not a poet in any way, but I think I started with writing music before the text. And then when I started writing music, I realized, oh, they need to sing some words. And what could that be? And I think it was really hard for me to find a poem by somebody else because I already progressed with the piece, uh, with the musical side. So I just felt maybe it's easy if I just write my own words. They're just words about a journey through through the river, through the sea, through earth. And there is lots of presence of sun. And maybe I have to say that I actually, this particular piece was influenced by my journey to Israel, to Jerusalem. While studying in Lithuania, I did a short exchange. And Jerusalem was a very spiritual place. There are lots of religions there. I was very influenced by prayers of both um, Jewish and Muslims uh, because, you know, there's lots of singing in their prayers. And I think those songs, those prayers kind of influence the melodic choice. But because you asked about the material, it's not, it's not, um, it's not purely imitation of Muslim or Jewish prayer songs. I think I, in general, am very interested in folk singing and folk songs, and I I get influenced a lot by any folk music in any region. And I studied Lithuanian songs, and then um, I also take inspiration from shamanic rituals, shamanic uh, songs and singing. They, they all have different aspects to it, but I guess this uncontrolled voice and expression of some kind of very strong emotion through song, I think that's what reflects in, um, in this uh, composition. It's quite interesting that you um, started writing the music first before you had words, because it's more often than not the other way around. You've been given text, so you have to to look for text. Have you have you done that any other time since? Yes, I think this is actually a bad habit of mine. <laughs> <laughs> I get so I get even I I remember once um, writing a short opera and um, I created the whole concept, all the idea, and I. It was a five-minute opera, nano-opera, so-called. And I think just because it's so short, I thought, I thought about it as a, as a piece rather yeah. than opera. So it's just five minutes uh, opera. And I created the whole concept and I started writing music. And when I started writing music, it occurred to me that I haven't got a libretto, like libretto, <laughs> like actual text, what to think. And a few vocal pieces came like this. And then I realized, no, I actually have to start with words and find proper poem, proper <laughs> text, because otherwise it becomes a bit, um, I think maybe text is a strong uh, medium. Mm. And if the text is not uh, very strong, the piece can get a bit lost because every time you hear a word or a text, you draw the association. So I think uh, maybe only more recently I started to think more properly about text, that text also needs to have its uh, weight and role. Um, moving on to Chrysalis for Percussion, Solo and Symphony Orchestra. Uh, this large-scale work was written just after you completed your doctoral degree. Uh, the piece moves through various soundscapes. Can you talk us through key sections? Yeah, so uh, Chrysalis is um, about a 20-minute piece. The first section, which is based on um, rhythms from Indian Conical, not based on, it's actually exact imitation, I have to say. <laughs> 
I like and your then, honesty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's actually, it could be exact quote. I could even direct you where I found it. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but uh, as you know, it's, it's just rhythm. So the notes are invented by me. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and then the second, uh, the second part of this big introductory section is reworked a bit from a very old piece of orchestra that I written a long time ago. And that's a completely different piece, but that particular section, um, I always felt that there is more potential in this and I always wanted to develop it more. So this first part is this big orchestral um, introduction with percussionist soloist. And then it repeats uh, in a way by orchestra only. sections strongly defined by the percussion instruments I use. So there is a section where percussion plays a duet with harp and harp use a bit more extended techniques and, and it's all kind of blends into this uh, very melodic material.
And then uh, there is a section of uh, percussion only solo, so it's a bass drum solo. Then there is a section again of orchestral writing, but the orchestra uses their voice, and I think um, it's a bit more tribal in that particular section. Just before the big coda, which kind of repeats the beginning, so it's like an arch form. So just before coda, uh, the percussionist solo has this little moment where he plays voice tubes. It's a toy. It's a toy instrument. It's a tube, and it has a slide inside. And when you kind of move it around, it has. This... <laughs> There are a number of ideas in this piece and they move from big sound, full orchestra into like duets and small groups and with instrumentation, but also with the material I chose. And I mean, it, it's not just one theme in there. There are many. Um, and I think maybe this defines the way my music is. I quite a lot think about my music. It's a journey from one to another, one to another. And sometimes it comes back to where it started 
or sometimes it goes somewhere else, the whole form just goes somewhere else and we end up in different world. Um, so there's, there's, as you said, there's quite a weird and wonderful selection of percussion instruments used with bike bells and cardboard boxes and copper pipes in the lineup. Where, where did the inspiration come to use more common household items? Yeah, that's a really good question, actually. Um, so the whole piece was born from my collaboration with Jude Carlton, a percussionist who also played the solo part. And when I suggested to him if he would like to play solo for this piece, he said, how about you come down to... Uh, he has a farm, <laughs> uh, or his parents, rather. But uh, he has in that farm, he has a warehouse. And in that warehouse, he stores all his instruments. Uh, and so I spent... Um, three days there working with him with all the instruments exploring all the instruments I think his idea was that I will probably select one of them which will be the solo <laughs> but he was really wrong <laughs> because I was just I was just so excited about everything he had and bass drum and you know and vibraphone and all all little bits of instruments all the let's say there is a section where he, he plays pots because he has he has a collection of instruments which he either purchased or made himself because for some pieces sometimes you need the specific sound and he would just take a little brass tube and just cut it and make a, like make an instrument out of it so he had things like this the diversity of instruments came exactly from the fact that he Jude had all of them already and then he even even built some of the tubes he cut especially for for this uh, chrysalis really? we needed some particular pitches there and I also, I'm also a big fan of collecting instruments. So I also brought my own percussive <laughs> instrument, little bells and chimes. And um, the very first section, which defines the whole melodic material, there is this, uh, a little bit of a, you could say, jazzy uh, scale that I use. It was defined by the instrument we had because um, they, they were different chimes, bells, little pots, and they all had a pitch. But you can't tune them. Mm -hmm. So I took all those pitches and I realized that it makes quite a nice scale. And I said, how about this will be our main scale for the piece? And yeah. That's cool. That's really cool. Whose who's was the, the singing tubes? Voice tube, the singing <coughs> tubes. Tube, exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they were mine. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. I have four. <laughs> it must have been raging when you sent him the score with the instrument list. He's like... How am I going to get all this in the car? Like, <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. We were th we were really thinking about how to transport it, whether he should drive to Lithuania because the premiere was in Lithuania, so we, whether he should drive by car. But then they managed to come. Is this from London? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you had to take it all from London to Lithuania. Yes. <laughs> That's hilarious. I, I wasn't I wasn't thinking it through when I was composing. <laughs> yeah. It's um How did you get it all there then? Yeah, so so I think I think quite a few orchestral instruments that we use, like vibraphone, there are chimes and there are um bells and these uh, we could all uh, get in Lithuania, all right, the main okay. orchestra, in including the bass drum. Yeah. But uh, all the um all the like the Super Bowl, for example, was brought by Jude. And then I think the biggest trouble was pots because they're clay pots. <laughs> <laughs> not easy to transport but uh, yeah somehow he managed because um actually uh, also his family came for the premiere to Lithuania so right, there okay. were four more people <laughs> helping him with all the yeah transportation so that was um that was good oh that's such a funny story <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, so as you've said, you have an interest in sort of interdisciplinary projects. Could you tell us a bit more about some of your more collaborative work? Yeah, so so this this collaboration with with Jude Carlton, which I just described, it's um this is probably my way of working with uh, classically trained musicians or musicians who play contemporary music in this classical uh, conventional terms. But um, throughout my years, um, and especially because I I started my undergrad and master's in Lithuania, and I probably should. Uh, bring a bit more context into it. When I when I started my studies in Lithuania, um, it was a, a few decades after Soviet Union uh, collapsed, but um, it was also the time when Lithuania was entering European Union. So you can, there were a few decades of this big, big change in the country. And I think um, you think about the politics and all of this uh, uh, main main things, but you never think how it affects educational institutions because the whole educational system that was running in Soviet Union it was a different different type of education. You use different literature, different books, different kind of um, different way you mark people, different type of subjects you teach, and then European Union has its own standards, and so Lithuania. Ha- was going through this transition, trying to adapt um, adapt their um, educational system for European standards. And this is exactly where I entered uh, to study composition. And I think the only lesson that was stable for me was a composition lesson with my tutor. There, there wasn't really infrastructural support for the composers. There wasn't like you enter a composition department and then you will be writing for string quartet and the department will take care that somebody will perform it for you. It wasn't like this. It was more like we had to submit written pieces for the exam with the recordings and we had access to recording studio, but who and how will perform it for you and it, in what way uh, there wasn't. It wasn't organized, and it, it's. I think it's. It's. Um. It's absolutely normal because of all of these changes that were happening at that time. We as composers, we quickly realized that uh, we need to organize ourselves because you know you, you have to get recording for the exam. It better be good quality. So we started working with uh, performers, uh, with musicians, and um, I think my my goal started to be that I will work with people who want to play music rather than I wouldn't start thinking about instrument first. I'd rather find the person and write for them. So so I started writing for folk instruments and various instruments and eventually started working with people who are non-instrumentalists as well uh, from various interdisciplinary backgrounds. And of course, when you work with people like that, you don't write music in a conventional way. A lot of my music doesn't have a score at all because people can't read music, let's say, who I work with. And it it developed over many years, actually, that my whole practice split into two. So one side is the music which I write for, uh, you could say, orchestral instruments with a score. And then the other part is all of this quite a bit more chaotic, collaborative uh, work uh, with people with whom uh, we meet. And depending on who you work with, there will be some kind of result after that, some kind of musical result. So you're currently involved in Modern Chants, um, a collaborative music project involving composers, musicians, poets and storytellers, resulting in eight new compositions. The project involved your research into onomatopoeic words from Scotland's musical heritage. How did you first become interested in this area? 
I was um, interested in onomatopoeic words for a while because we have a, um, in Lithuania we have a folk songs where we have uh, words, they're very, very old folk songs and then there, there are words that are not being used in, in modern language anymore and the meaning is lost. But they are repeated in the songs and they become like the word that means that song in a sense. And uh, those words are related to ancient Sanskrit language, which is very strange. Linguists can't really explain this connection because of the way we think about migration. It doesn't make sense, but it is. I think this kind of ties, I already said that in, in Chrysalis, I used Indian conakol. Conakol is a way of uh, learning percussive instruments through first learning it with voice. When I came to Scotland, um, I really wanted to connect with environment here, with people, of course. I Through running Coma Glasgow, I connected with people. But I felt like Scotland, Scotland has such a strong, authentic uh, cultural heritage. And somehow it resonates with Lithuanian heritage. I think Lithuania and Scotland has lots in common because of very old language and because of um, this respect to nature and this abundance of wild nature. Maybe also lots of pagan tradition or myths are still alive here and same as in Lithuania. It never kind of exactly died out. So through Anlanter, I, I contacted them because I thought maybe I could go and do research. And so we, exchange, we kept email conversation. And so, um, and so John McLeod, who is um, running that residency, he, he kind of started dropping me things like, oh, have you looked into Kantara? Have, have you looked into Portobel? Have, have you looked into this or that? You know, have you looked into Gaelic, you know, words, alphabet letters and things? And I, I think there is lots of onomatopoeia in this culture, in Scottish culture, in Gaelic culture, in Kantarach as well, it's all on the fake language, isn't it, uh, for, for music. So I just got very, very fascinated by this. And therefore I thought, I need to do a project here. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to hear Kantarach performed by Joanne Nicholson, a piece you've composed for the project. Can you tell us more about what Kantarach is and how you've been influenced by this particular tradition in the piece? When researching Kantaracht, I, I was given a, a practice chanter, actually, <laughs> which I started learning. Uh, I learned a couple of tunes, but you do have to practice, don't you? This is why I'm a composer, <laughs> because I'm, so, I just, I'm just so lazy. I can't practice. I, I get really excited about things and I learn and then, you know, uh, you know what happens next. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so I, I have the practice chanter and, and I, I also signed up for a few bagpipers uh, societies and they, in between them, they share this counteract um, notation, tunes, uh, how to sing them, how to perform. So I started looking into it and I learned a little bit. Very, on a very kind of beginner level, on a very amateur level, but I started understanding what that is and I think... I really wanted to write a piece which would have audience participation in it. And I thought, it's it's interesting to sing something which is familiar, but maybe you haven't done it before. So I thought, Kanteracht, I took, I took a tune, a quotation from the existing tune, which I teach audience to sing in Kanteracht. So we sing it together. And then while Joanna plays, there are three places in the piece where audience chorus comes in to sing along with a clarinet, with this very uh, like advanced 
contemporary clarinet performance and this uh, traditional song. I think, well, this was my way of um, looking at it, I guess. Um, maybe maybe slightly slightly of an outsider's look, really, because I am quite new to this counterach and, in general, Scottish culture. So I think probably in the piece you can hear so many influences from various cultures and and maybe my own voice as well comes in. So I thought, why not? Why not? I wanted to do this, <laughs> so I did it. <laughs> a shot of actual bagpipes yet uh yes how and did it sound <laughs> it was i after half an hour struggle i yeah. managed to get a short two second sound 
<laughs> I was very proud of it. But yeah, it's really hard. It's so hard. Yeah. <laughs> I had a very um quick shot of a, a friend's pipes and like if you don't get enough air in, which is really hard to do, like the drones just keep falling down and like hitting you. <laughs> like, yeah. It was just like falling all over the place. Like I couldn't, I just couldn't do it. So eventually I got the friend to blow into the pipe and I just moved my, wiggled my fingers to get oh, a Oh, that's shot. clever. <laughs> I'll do that next time. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't get any air out because I, I would press the, the back and yeah. the air would go in, back into me. It's going to the pipes. <laughs> Just like, I don't know, you have to have really strong lungs. Oh, yeah. To do this. So, is there anything coming up that you would like to plug? Yes. So, <laughs> I, I realized I actually haven't told much about Modern Chance team and our collaboration. So, maybe mm -hmm. I'll just a couple of sentences about this. So, Modern Chance, the project that I um, I have to say, I'm really grateful for Creative Scotland and PRS uh, uh, for uh, funding this project. And uh, I am, I'm also managing this project myself. So I kind of have two hats. I'm a composer and um, manager of the project. And uh, in this project, I was really, really happy that I was joined by amazing team of creators. So it's Joanna Nicholson, who you already, uh, we already mentioned. And then we have Catherine Wren, viola player, who is a Nordic viola uh, initiator and leader. And she, she brought fantastic influences into this whole project. And then uh, we have composer Gemma McGregor, who uh, brings lots of Old Norse influence and vibe and also ideas. She, she is she knows so much about that world. I mean, she's really an expert. So this is amazing to have her on the team. And we also have Emily Doolittle, who, uh, whose main object uh, of research is um, animal sounds and in particular bird songs. And it so strongly connects to this project. So, and then of course we have Dawn Wood, a poet uh, who wrote a number number and number <laughs> big number of poems on various uh, topics of both Gallic culture her own research and poems which she wrote uh, influenced by speaking to us composers by listening to our music as we were writing it in progress and so with this team we already showed a concert in November it was live streamed through Bookwick uh, Scotland uh, events and then now we are working in combining all that music into sound work, both music and poems, but also new wo new words. Um, and uh, so the sound work, it will be a journey with part of the birds. You will be invited to come along uh, to explore uh, areas. You will be starting your journey from your home. We'll meet on Zoom. And then you will get a soundtrack, which you will take in your phone, and you will be walking in your own area. So you don't have to travel somewhere to attend it. It's again virtual. And in the soundtrack, there will be an instruction uh, recorded by Dawn, who will be acting as part of the birds, and will be inviting you to pay uh, your attention to different aspects of your familiar environments and eventually will take you into more abstract journey through the stories and poems into the world of the birds that live here today and that lived here before and long time ago and very long time ago up to dinosaur era and um, and basically and then and then she will bring you back home where we will meet again on zoom and everybody will share their experiences so this is uh, this sound work is being curated by sound and uh, we already have a date so I invite everyone uh, it will be on the 27th of February it's a Sunday it's at 2 p.m. 
and uh, the uh, tickets will be available very soon through Sound Scotland. So it's sound-scotland.co.uk. Uh, they will be probably right on the front page. And I, I, it will be really, really lovely to see you all for this second part of my big Scottish research. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. And is there anything coming up with Coma Glasgow that our listeners might be interested in knowing about? Yes. So um, with Coma Glasgow, uh, we are running uh, an open score club twice a month. Everybody uh, are invited. If you are playing an instrument, if you are a composer, you can be amateur, professional, beginner. Uh, we, it's open for everyone. And uh, the exciting thing that on March 6th, um, we are going to take part in Coma Festival. It's a big festival which has events across the UK. So we in Glasgow will do our small bit and we will have an event where people who live further away will be able to join through Zoom. And people who live in Glasgow will be able to come in person and have in-person rehearsal or in-person work workshop, which is so exciting for us, actually, because it's been a while. And, and uh, so it will be on the um, 6th of March at 10 a.m. And we'll have this uh, one and a half hour session of a workshop in various pieces. And at noon, we are planning to uh, play a short very uh, informal live streamed concert uh, so everybody else can also hear uh, what we came up with. So uh, Coma Glasgow is always very open for everyone. It's, um, you, you can sign up through coma.org slash Glasgow <laughs> uh, through, through, through this uh, address. You can sign up for our open score club and we, we run uh, our club goes session by session, so you can attend one session and then miss half a year and then come back and you won't be missing anything because it's, um, it's, uh, we try to keep it very open and accessible for everyone. And most of the sessions are online, on Zoom, or sometimes we have merged sessions as well. So, um, yeah, I just invite everyone to either join us to play together or to listen to our live stream event. Brilliant. Thank you. Awesome.